Hello and welcome to Future Projection of Baseball America podcast. This is episode 72 of the show. I'm Carlos Clazo, joined as always by Ben Badler for the final episode of 2023. Ben, how does that feel for you? Feels good. We sent the prospect handbook to the printers too. That feels extremely good as well. Yes, I I feel like the last few days have been a bit of a grind. It's always some of the more intense working days of the year for us over at BA, just getting that book wrapped up. It's a ton of ton of moving parts, a lot of things coming together in what feels like a pretty compressed amount of time. But yeah, a few hours before we started recording this podcast, we sent that book to the press. So, uh, I mean, we've been taking pre-orders for it for a while, but since it's done, we may as well put out a call. If you guys are interested in getting the handbook, you can pre-order it now. If you buy it through us, you'll get it before anyone else. There's a digital version of the handbook that'll come out in January. So if you're an avid fantasy player and you've got drafts starting up that time of year, or if you're just a prospect junkie, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, you can get your hands so. on that. Yeah. yeah. If you're not, then you really you just doing? love the the sounds of Ben's <laughs> voice uh, throughout the pod. Yeah, you, you pretty much have to be listening to this show. So I imagine that's something you guys are interested in. I, I really feel like this is my sixth handbook that I've been a part of at BA, and it, it really does feel like the, the product gets better each and every year, and, and hopefully we've improved upon it once again this year. But how many handbooks have you done now, Ben? Uh, first one... Was I a part... Did I write a chapter in 2008? I'd have to go back and check. So probably probably 15 or Mm. so handbooks now yeah jj and matt were talking about their handbooks i believe matt has done 24 ish and jj is like 22 or 23 something like that and it's funny hearing jj talk about how like he was slowly worked into actually working on the handbook like they they it feels like a long time ago at ba you had to kind of earn your stripes before you were allowed to write for the handbook which is definitely not the case now it's like every everybody on staff is is working very hard on that and people have multiple chapters so it's just kind of funny to think about being on staff and not uh, having a hand in in the handbook yeah it's definitely evolved over the years like you go back to that first one that i think was the 2021 handbook it's a little bit smaller 2001 or sorry sorry 2001 Mm. um it's a little bit smaller than the rest uh, it's just sort of, I mean, literally grown <laughs> and evolved now over the years. There's so much more detail. I, I love going back and flipping through back when I used to, or back when we used to even have the office in Durham, North Carolina, flipping through even just the old magazines and reading scattering reports from top tens in, yeah. that were in the magazine from like 1996, 1998, uh, going back and just seeing seeing the reports how much more detailed and in-depth they are now but also thinking back and being like how did they do this before (laughs) before the internet before the cell phone Mm -hmm. before just all of the ubiquitous and abundance of information Mm. and tools that we have at our disposal now not just on the baseball side but just the actual communication tools <laughs> that we have available it's uh, really funny to, to it's funny to hear jj talking about the sort of labor that was required for a lot of the print products and a lot of the stat assembling back in the day the amount of time that went into it is is insane it feels like a long time ago the, the challenge was getting the the right information and now the challenge is like deciding 
which of the information of, of the many points of data we have now is is actually useful or tells you something like it's almost like we're trying to avoid a lot of noise and, and try and find out what the actual important pieces of information are these days for a number of products now there are always some demographics that are maybe more challenging to get those pieces of data and obviously reporting is is a large thing that we're doing throughout the year on all these guys it's not like we're just reliant on on spreadsheets for information but it definitely seems like just the amount of of piece of information we have at our disposal today is i mean even even thinking on just the draft side for me like what we have available for amateur players compared to what we had even in 2018 is just night and day so we're definitely dealing with a lot more information so hopefully that makes the reports just more detailed and, and specific and helpful for for people who are reading about it but um I, and you're talking about back in the office i think i managed to steal all of the handbooks so i had a complete set of 2001 to i don't know it might have been like 2019 the last year i was actually in the office but when i moved up i had to give that one up it was too much weight to travel with so i don't have that anymore which is a bummer yeah i do like flipping through the old uh handbooks always i actually i think i think it's important for anybody who writes about prospects or who you know, you know, whether you, and if you work in baseball in some capacity or, or you just care about prospects before you even buy, I mean, I definitely want you guys to buy the 2024 handbook, but just go buy old prospect handbooks on eBay for like a dollar or $2 or whatever they're selling for, because going through and reading the old reports is a great reminder of the percentage of these guys that actually do work out and just how accurate we can truly be hmm. in our forecasts of these players. Or if, if you think there's, you know, really 30 or 20 something future big leaguers in your favorite team's farm system right now, eh, like you're might be overrating it <laughs> a little bit. It's always a good uh, sober reminder of hmm. some of the, uh, the limitations of, of it, of what we do. And also just the ways that players can, continue to surprise you both mm. good and bad yeah, it's funny you say that because like as we've been doing the handbook on the side of I've, I've been working on a, a 2019 redraft piece just going back over that draft class and how that would shift in hindsight is is shocking and some of the players that just haven't panned out is very surprising so look for that to hit at some point over the holidays that'll be a kind of a fun look back um but i also think like it's a great point. Looking back is, is so important. Seeing where you were at on players, what you thought they were going to be and how it actually panned out, like the lessons you might be able to take away from that, even if it's as simple as like not being super confident in these projections because, like you said, a lot of these players are just not going to live up to the expectations that you have for them. They're going to change significantly from three years into the future. So it is it is important and a good reminder that while 2024 obviously is what we're looking forward to, those those old prospect handbooks still carry a lot of value. Yeah, I would say it's the same with the draft too, right? Even looking even looking back just five years ago, <laughs> you can see there's a lot of players who were taken in that first round who um, you know, really don't have much of a future at this point in the major leagues. And there's other guys who are later round picks who are already in the big leagues and have uh, significantly more uh, impact ahead of them. 
Yeah, no doubt. So Ben, for you uh, over the break, are you going to actually get some time off? Or are you still going to be hard at work the whole time? What are, what are the plans for you? I know as a, as a staff, we kind of get back online around January 2nd, I think. So I'm, I'm looking forward to some downtime, but is that something you can even afford to have at this point? Yeah, absolutely not. It's <laughs> uh, ever yeah, ever since they moved the international signing period from July second, starting on July second to starting on January fifteenth. Uh, this is still a busy time of year. Just making, been making calls all around for for the past well for a while, but uh, especially this past <laughs> month, just to check in on guys. Oh, uh, this player is heading to a different team. This thing is changing. That thing is changing. Getting updated reports, updated information on players so making sure everything is lined up and ready to go when the new year starts for the international players in in particular yeah that's absolutely brutal ben (laughs) i'm sorry Uh, it's not uh you know it's 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 fine when you really love what you do it's not like i'm (laughs) going out and uh of course that definitely makes it easier but i am just trying to figure out where in the calendar you actually get a time to breathe and i'm not really sure when that is yeah yeah, it doesn't really. This next week for so me, after Friday, will be nice. I don't really have much going on, and a lot of the stuff that's going to be going on, at least on the website, is stuff that I've already been working on. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I will. I'll try and relax extra for you, Ben. Oh, thanks, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about uh, AL Central farm systems. We have done four of the divisions in baseball, and we've got AL Central now and then al west on deck it seems like we've saved the worst for last which is nice um both these divisions have a lot of of farm systems that just don't seem particularly great but today we're going to focus on the al central which is consistently critiqued for being the weakest division in baseball i think that it doesn't really look like it's changing anytime soon uh we do have one pretty standout organization here in terms of just our farm system strength and Maybe now it's a little bit of cheating since we we did part of the prospect handbook is updating our org talent rankings that goes in that book. So we kind of have a more specific idea of where these organizations fall. Um, On previous episodes, we've kind of talked through where we expect them to rank. And I think actually looking back at our podcasts and think about where we place teams versus where they actually are on the page now in the handbook, I'd say we're fairly accurate with teams. but yeah, what are your, I guess, general thoughts on AL Central as a whole? Um, and, and where do you want to start in terms of team by team specifics? I would start with the Tigers. I think they're, they have one of the more exciting farm systems in mm-hmm. the division. Um, you know, we have Max Clark, number one. Uh, I don't know if they, if they may end up. Uh, you know, if, if they could do if it, if it could do the the redraft again, like would they take Wyatt Langford now mm. instead of Max Clark? But I mean, even based on the financials, like it, it definitely seems like they wanted to save more money there. I mean, Wyatt Langford got the third highest bonus in the draft. Max Clark went up, got more than than Walker Jenkins, which maybe is what he was looking for. But it definitely seems like there was a financial component there at least in, in hindsight, look, looking at all the bonuses when everything was said and done. But it, it definitely felt like pre-draft, the top five players were in their own tier, but I kind of, in my head, and I think on our rankings as well, like viewed Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, and Paul Skeens as kind of the top three, like the the 1A of that tier, if that makes sense. 
Well, and then I think what Langford did in his pro debut helped solidify mm. himself and really raise himself in the category of like, you know, he, he's going to be a top 10. I'm just even probably being conservative here prospect yeah. when our top 100 comes out. And I think he has a case to be top five, maybe. I mean, I I, I'm not so, saying yeah. he's going to be there, but it's certainly top 10. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be voices who, who will, will want to have him in that top five overall mm-hmm. which is i think pretty crowded <laughs> this year but uh but I, I, at the same time like i mean even if langford goes out and goes bonkers and you know the start of 2024 uh i i love max clark i think he's yeah. i think it's just going to take a little more patience obviously than the mm-hmm. you know the super advanced college hitter like wyatt langford to see the see the results at higher levels it's going to mm-hmm. take him a little bit longer to get to the big leagues but he's uh you know he, he checks so many boxes that you want to see in a high school player um and, and he's done it for so long um just a really polished player polished player with impact tools too i mean he's really athletic plus plus runner plus plus arm good athlete true center fielder good instincts in center field runs good routes out there and i think he's one of the most advanced hitters in a in a pretty advanced 2023 high school class uh it's a lot of contact i know there are some questions about how much power he'll ultimately have i think he's i think there's power in there you see it in bp when he lets it loose i think in games it's been more uh, oriented toward putting the ball in play, spreading the ball around the field, mm. uh, which I like to see. And then I think later in his career, uh, you'll start to see more more game power. Uh, there's a ton of strength in there. I mean, anytime we you know, post a video of him swinging in shorts, like the first thing people comment <laughs> on is just this guy's legs are like tree trunks. So, yeah, um, it's yeah. I mean, every tool with the exception of power has a chance to be a, a – Although I, I wouldn't rule out 60 power with him either, but I mean, every tool uh, looks like it's a potential 60 or better with the exception of power, which could mm-hmm. end up surprising people too. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's a it's a great player to have at the top of your system. But he, even then, I, I think there's some debate as to whether he even is the best prospect in that system. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, just starting off with Clark, I think you you summed him up nicely. You've long been very high on Max Clark. I would imagine he is one of the toolsiest prospects in affiliated ball at this point. He was, I would say, the toolsiest player in the 2023 class. Um, The power is interesting with him because he does have a lot of strength now. I don't know that you can expect him to get a ton more physical. Like, he's pretty well-developed. He's pretty filled out. I'd say it's more of a question of like that offensive approach that you mentioned. He has been a guy who can hit the ball to all fields. He can slap the ball the other way and run. Like it was fairly consistent 70 grade times for me out of the box, which was great to see. It wouldn't shock me if he he wound up being like an 80 grade runner at some point in the future as well. Like I just think he's going to do a lot of things on the field that that's hard to do um, in one package. I don't know where I stand on on the power, but I also don't really know that it matters. If if he is just a 50 power player and all of the other tools are are just as loud and and just as applicable to game scenarios as as I think they're going to be, that's a a regular all-star in my mind. I expect him to rank at some somewhere in the 
top 20, top 25 range uh, on our top 100 entering the year. And it feels like the Tigers could have three players that are in that range between Jackson Job, who is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, and then Colt Keith, who has, I'm not sure, like, what your perception is on like how he has ascended the prospect ranks, but his hit and power combination, uh, what he's done at the upper levels of the minors in 2023, the season that he had, uh, it was pretty phenomenal. And then even beyond those three, you've got interesting players that are near the majors and Jace Young. Uh, You've got Ty Madden, who could be a workhorse starter. You've got Justin Henry Malloy, who I think has significantly less upside than every player that I mentioned, but also could be in the big leagues uh, in 2024 and be a, a solid everyday sort of player. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of go through this list and there's a lot of depth. Um, there's tools, there's upside at the lower levels, there's proximity. It's a lot to like with this system. Oh, I, I think Jackson Job could as a case to be maybe not right now, but we could be talking about him as the number one pitching prospect in baseball at some point next year. I mean, right now, you know, I, I think Paul Skeens still goes ahead of him. Yep. Andrew Painter, if if the Tommy John, uh, you know, if the surgery is not as much of a concern for you, he probably belongs up there. Uh, you know, Kate Horton, obviously, with the Cubs, uh, belongs in, in that mix at the mm-hmm. top as well. But... Uh, you know, it could go like Kyle Harrison, Robbie Snelling. Um, I think Jacob Mizierowski with the Brewers has ridiculous stuff, but yeah. <laughs> certainly a lot more question marks with him. Whereas Jackson Job, I mean, everything he threw this year was pretty filthy. <laughs> it's the the fastball, uh, the slider, still a wipeout pitch, the changeup, which we've talked about for a while has shown plus potential mm. really really was an effective pitch for him this year he threw a ton of strikes he got to double a at the end of the year uh, as a what he is 21 years old at the end of the season turned 21 yeah. during the season so uh, i i think he has he has a lot of attributes that you look for in a frontline starter so yeah i mean you talked about max clark being a top 25 type prospect in baseball i I think job uh, you know depending how how much you kind of drop pitchers in Mm -hmm. in your rankings based on the risks that they come with i I think he could fit into that top 25 overall group too there's there's only you can count on the one hand the number of pitchers i would take uh, ahead of jackson job in the minors right now yeah I agree with that entirely. And just looking at kind of the list of players, I, I've started to put together a rough uh, top 100 list for me personally, just looking ahead towards January when we'll start to actually get together as a staff and work that up. And I have um, Jackson Job right now as my fourth overall pitcher on the board. And I have Paul Skeens as the top pitcher in the top 10. And then I've got a cluster of pitchers behind them that Jackson Job is included in, uh, along with guys like Andrew Painter, Robbie Snelling, Kate Horton, uh, but I do have Job, Clark, and Keith all inside the top 20 on, on just my personal list. Again, that, that doesn't mean they're going to be in that range on our top 100 as a staff. It's possible like everyone else is a little bit lower on these guys. But I, I imagine most people are going to be in a similar range um, just given the the upside potential we have with them. And I think it's really encouraging to see Job's 2023 season because there were some question marks for him 
when he entered pro ball, it, it seemed like the strikes didn't, uh, the strikes certainly weren't as good as they were this year. Um, I mean, the, the walk rate that he showed across multiple levels was really impressive. And then the fact that the slider continued to play at a high rate, the changeup was a piece that developed for him during his draft year and really kind of helped establish him as the, the top pitching prospect or the top high school pitching prospect in his draft class. Um, so yeah, the fact that all of those pitches are still looking plus is probably double plus slider. Now you're looking at maybe plus control. It's a really attractive package of of pitches and arms. And I guess if you're one of those people who are just scared of Paul Skeen's fastball shape, if you wanted to say Jackson Job is your top pitching prospect in the game, I really don't think that's crazy. Um, so it's been a, a really fun year for him. And yeah, I, I think the fact that the Tigers have both impact hitting and pitching up the middle tools, like college hitters, like they've got a lot of demographics here. It's a, it's a fairly balanced system, I would say. Um, and we're going to have them as, as one of the better farm systems in baseball. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and you mentioned Justin Henry Malloy too. I, I think he's somebody who just doesn't get enough credit um, mm-hmm. for how, how productive he has been. I mean, he, he's hit at every level now up through AAA. I think the defensive concerns with him, while, you know, that's they're, they're legitimate concerns, but I think they can be overrated in terms of the magnitude of how important they are for a guy who, um, you know, hit you know, 417 on base this year, 474 slug in AAA as a 23-year-old. I mean, yeah, it's probably corner outfield. I don't think he's going to give you a lot of defensive value, but I, I think everything he does offensively is going to continue to translate in the big league. So, um, you know, is he a perennial all-star? No, I, I'm not saying that, but I, I, I think he has a chance to be an above average regular, um, again, probably in a, a corner outfield spot, but uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in the, those on base skills translating at the next level. Yeah, no, I think he could be solid. And I really think the Tigers could maybe be kind of a sleeper team next year. They have a lot of young players who are going to be taking on roles in the big league team. They've got a lot of young players like Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson who are already there. Kerry Carpenter, guys who are young and can still take some steps forward offensively as all-around players. Like They were a really bad team a year ago. Um, they've got some injuries in the pen. They've made some additions this offseason that are intriguing. Um they could have Parker Meadows make an impact. We haven't talked about him, but I think he's still got some exciting secondary tools. If he maybe hits a little bit better than expected, he could be a pretty impactful player. Um, they could have a pretty fun team on their hands in the very near future with guys like Kevin McGonigal and Max Clark, um, kind of lower-level players who I think have the polish uh, and just the baseball skills to maybe move quickly. Like Between McGonigal and Max Clark, I do. I said this on the draft day. We, we talked about it after the fact, but I really feel like they've got two of the safer high school profiles in the class, just given the conviction I have in their hitting ability and just their baseball instincts. If Kevin McGonigal winds up being a second baseman, I'm not too concerned about that because I think he's going to be a good enough hitter with solid power that, that he's going to be a, a good, productive player. I know you're also very high on Kevin McGonigal. You can talk about him here if you want, or if you want to go in, in any other direction, touch on some players maybe we haven't mentioned, but... 
I mean, we're, we're gushing pretty heavily about the Tigers here. And I don't know, for whatever reason, when we entered the org talent rankings, I, I kind of was surprised with where they lined up just with some of the some of the quantifying that we do to try and put values on farm systems like they were shockingly high but after thought talking through it and thinking through some of their players uh, it's a really really impressive system yeah i think it's a good top 10 uh, after that I, I think it's uh, i don't know if there's anything that really distinguishes the 11 through 30 types in the organization from other systems but yeah i, I think kevin mcgonagall um, you know, went in the supplemental first round, 37th overall. I think he's going to end up being a, a better player than a lot of the uh, players who ended up getting drafted ahead of him. Um, it, I mean, I don't know. Does it seem to you like the Tigers have changed their or adjusted their philosophy in terms of the types of players that they're targeting in in the last couple of years now? I mean, they've got a new person running their scouting department. They've got new people in the front right. office. Mark Connor uh, moving over. He was previously a scouting director with the Padres. Um, so I was kind of curious to see how they were going to work this draft, if they were going to take these really toolsy, high upside, high risk players that in the past the Padres have gone after. They took a different strategy than that, although their first two guys were high school players. Uh, it really feels like adding contact and barrel accuracy and just conviction and, and hit tools is something that was a focus in this draft class just with the, the two players they targeted up top now again maybe just just given what they wanted to do money wise maybe white langford was never a serious option for them it's hard to say without really knowing what their plans were and how they lined guys up but i mean they had a chance to take walker jenkins white langford or max clark and the fact that they decided to go with clark i think tells you a little bit about what they were um, valuing especially when you, you kind of compound that with their next pick in kevin mcgonigal um so yeah, I think so. I think it it has changed a little bit. Just what I perceive them to be going after. I mean, Max Anderson. After I don't know if he falls directly in line uh, with with Kevin McGonagall and Max Clark. Uh, it still seems like spending money on a Paul Wilson type in the third round. I like I like going for the upside high school pitching demographic that typically can be kind of pricey and some teams don't necessarily want to take the risk on a high school arm so i kind of like that carson rucker is another player that maybe you could lump into the old padres sort of drafting style more of an under the radar type toolsy doesn't have the the hitting tracker record established on the showcase circuit so i like going with the players they took up top i like the shots they took on players further on down the draft board i thought it was solid i don't know that this means every year you just look for like the, the pure hitters of the class and just put them to the Tigers because a lot of it is just kind of dependent on, on where you're picking and, and who you have available on the board. But it was interesting that they did get two of the, the better pure hit tools in the class with picks number three and 37. Yeah, that's what uh, jumped out to me as well, too. I mean, I you know, I guess if you took Walker Jenkins instead, it's not like he's lacking in hitting ability yeah. <laughs> either. But uh, certainly the way the their picks worked out uh, later down the the draft seemed to seemed like they were getting more of a bat oriented uh, and and contact oriented uh, emphasis mm -hmm. and, and i'm not going to spoil too much of our, our talent rankings that are technically in print now and ready to go but it, it does feel like there's this cluster of teams after the orioles who have reasonable cases for the number two farm in the game would you include the tigers in that tier that you could make a case for uh, or no, do you think there's maybe some separation with teams that you would have in front of them? 
they wouldn't be for me, but I don't know. I, I guess you could make a case. I mm-hmm. guess if you want to phrase it that way, sure. But uh, I, I wouldn't put them up that high. Okay, but very, very solid, if not a top two farm system in the game. After the Tigers, which organization are you most excited about here? I feel like there's a pretty significant fall off. Um, I, I would say every other organization in this division is is either mediocre or bad. I'm curious if you think that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, some like middle of the pack type systems mm-hmm. here. Um, I think Kansas City would be an exception to that <laughs> on the on the wrong side of that end. But I think that the Twins are, you know, we were talking about Max Clark, uh, Twins were very fortunate in the draft lottery mm-hmm. <laughs> last year. The, an- the anti-Oakland A's, you could say. Yeah, ended up getting Walker Jenkins with the fifth overall pick. I mean, if Walker Jenkins is in the draft for 2024, <laughs> I mean... We got an easy number one player on the board. Yeah, he'd be number <laughs> one right now. Like, easily among the high school class. And you know, I think fairly easily overall, too, above the college players. Yeah, so to get a guy of of that caliber, I mean, somewhat fortunate too that you just all right. There's five big players in the draft this year who have that one-one type uh, feel to them in other drafts, and then uh, all right, let everybody else make their decisions, and then take <laughs> whoever's there. Uh, and then the debut that Walker Jenkins had was extremely impressive too so we talked about max clark being a top 25 overall prospect in our top 100 most likely and i think it's fair to say walker jenkins is too and i'd probably have him a tick ahead of max clark at this point just given what he was able to do and yeah so initial start i'm curious about that specifically because i think throughout the the process i was always just a tick higher on walker jenkins and max clark while viewing them as like the clear top high school players in the class if i had to pick between them i would have taken jenkins i know you were always like very neck and neck with them like you you kind of viewed them both at that elite level in my mind you were kind of siding towards max clark so what what about his pro debut would make you maybe feel a little bit more confident in jenkins if you had to pick one between the two for me the power was always the separator and just how much i loved his swing like mechanically how it worked uh, that was kind of just what I decided was a separator between them while acknowledging that like Clark could be better in all three other tools, run, field, arm. Like I think Clark is probably pretty solidly better in each of those three secondary tools. For me, the power was always what I was really encouraged about, really excited about. Um, so yeah, what about the pro debut has you uh, pushing Jenkins a, a tick higher? I mean, I, I think I would put Walker Jenkins as like a top 15. He's probably going to be somewhere in the 10 to 15 range on my personal 100. Yeah, I was, I mean, really going back their last two years of high school, I always view them as that same tier of player. Like somebody has to be one, somebody has to be two. Uh, Clark, for me, had the edge just because he had the ability to, or just more confidence in his ability to play center field. I mean, Jenkins is a center fielder now. Maybe he stays there long term. I think more likely he ends up playing a corner, but he has the offensive profile to certainly, uh, you know, be a well above average 
big leaguer there and and to be a really good defensive corner outfielder too if if he heads to a corner um but yeah i think the the power is certainly a big difference with jenkins has a lot more power than clark jenkins has a lot more power than <laughs> just about every high school player in that 2023 class and then the way he went out and performed i mean clark it was you know it was good in the in the complex league wasn't quite as good when he got promoted whereas jenkins just was consistently mashing whether he was in the fcl or, or once he got up to fort myers in the florida state league uh, not huge sample sizes and I, i'd still have them on the same kind of tier of player but at this point if i had to pick one i'd pick jenkins but you know you asked me in may next year a very good chance i could change my <laughs> mind and flip back to clark yeah, what was really encouraging for me with Jenkins and his debut was just the the contact that he made overall. I always felt that he was one of the maybe three best hit tools in the class, again, alongside Max Clark, Kevin McGonagall. Maybe you could throw Aiden Miller in there too. Um, but Walker Jenkins was always solidly in that sort of tier for me. I did wonder like how much swing and miss there might be with him getting to his power and with the swing not quite being as compact as guys like Max Clark in Kevin McGonagall, but like you said, it's a small sample, so you can't read into it too much. But just seeing how much contact he made overall in the pro debut while hitting for solid power, I was very encouraged by that. I expect him to have a solid approach offensively as well moving forward. I think he's going to get on base. I think he's going to hit for power, hit for average. I just think he's going to be a really well-rounded offensive player. And I liked him in center field when I saw him in high school. It's a lot easier for a guy like Walker Jenkins with his sort of athleticism and like he, he just looked like a man amongst boys at mm -hmm. his high school and so it, it may be as easier for me to talk myself into him playing center field in that context i am curious to see how he manages in pro ball when he's competing against much better defenders every day on his own team um i'm really curious to see what pro scouts think of him as a center fielder i, I almost think of walker jenkins defensively right now kind of how i thought about dylan cruz entering his draft year last spring i thought of cruz as like a player who could play center but would probably move to a corner where he'd be above average or plus now i think much more of Cruz's defensive ability i'm curious if walker will make that sort of of stride uh on the defensive end but i also think he just has such a bigger frame to start with than Cruz. He's much taller. I think he could fill out a lot more. So if he adds a lot more strength and slows down, he will look like your prototypical big league right fielder with the tools to match. So it wouldn't shock me either way, but I'm really curious to see like how that develops for him over a full season in 24. Yeah, he runs really well for his size, but I still think the the raw foot speed is a touch short of what you'd see in a typical center fielder in the big league. So I, I think, mm. yeah, keep him in center field for now. Keep developing there. Maybe he does. Maybe he does get a tick faster. Guys can surprise you. Um, there's no reason to move him off the position, certainly at the lower levels. But if I had to make a bet, I would probably say, yeah, I think most likely he ends up in a corner and ends up being an above average defender in right fields uh, and somebody who can hit 30 mm. plus home runs and get on base at a really high clip too. Yeah, so after Walker Jenkins, you got Brooks Lee and Emmanuel Rodriguez, who are probably couldn't be any more different in terms of prospect profiles. Um, I was particularly high on Emmanuel Rodriguez 
last year I think it was probably the highest on staff. I still really like the power and on base skills. Obviously, the contact skills are a bit of a question. Brooks Lee is just a super instinctual hitter. Um, the hit tool is going to carry his profile. Where are you at on these two uh, offensive players after Jenkins? Yeah, I like I like Brooks Lee. Just very, I mean, the report from college has been pretty accurate. I think mm-hmm. on him to this point, just a very polished hitter. Um, it's not like a super athlete or, or anything like that, but everything is pretty short, pretty fluid in terms of his movements in the batter's box. Um, a lot of a lot of contact, knows the strike zone, not like crazy raw power. It's it's hit over power, but I, I think there's probably average power. Mm-hmm. in there and then yes yeah, not uh especially rangy in the field but seems like he has a good clock for the the game understands how to slow things down in the field he's in playing out of control uh kind of goes just with his background of always being a, a high high instincts high baseball iq guy so um you know sometimes those guys go out and they still end up getting <laughs> overmatched <laughs> at the plate and they're not quite as polished as you think offensively. But in his case, uh, everything seemed to just kind of come as advertised with him. Yeah. I'm also surprised with how much he's played at shortstop in pro ball in, in college. His reputation seemed to be like fine at the position, but everyone seemed to prefer him at either third or second base, just given uh, maybe a lack of range, maybe a lack of impact arm strength, but he's still mostly played shortstop in his minor league career. It's 130, 36 games at shortstop, just seven games at third base. There are some scouts who think second base ultimately is going to be the best spot for him. Um, but un- until he like can't play that position, I think keep him there, see what happens. Once he gets a big league chance, maybe it depends on like the guy's playing around him where you want to put him. I think he's got a chance to be a fine defender at any of those three positions. I am curious like what it would look like at the big league level at shortstop. I'm maybe more pessimistic about his defense, but I am really optimistic about just the pure hitting ability. I mean, he's already logged a decent amount of time at the upper levels. Um, didn't have the greatest turn in AAA in 2023. It was just 38 games, um, but I'm really not too concerned with the hitting ability there he's one of the more pure instinctual hitters that i've seen and i think he's he's always going to get his knocks um so i think just a really really solid player all around with with a lot of conviction the hit tool who's really close to big league ready yeah and then emmanuel rodriguez it's big power a ton of patience a lot of walks um but then in the strike zone there's uh still a lot of a lot of swing and miss in there. There are definitely holes that can be exploited, uh, and we saw even in A-ball get exploited, but uh, at the same time, he still posted a 400 on-base percentage mm-hmm. uh, and big slug, too. Obviously, there's no question about the raw power. Uh, you see it in BP. You see it in the exit velos that he's posting. So um, I, I think he's going to be... He'll be a player that I, I think a lot of Twins fans will absolutely hate because of how much he's going <laughs> to strike out and probably drive them nuts with that. And then other other people are going to love him because they're going to not care as much about the 
uh, the strikeouts and, and look more at the on base and the slug. But uh, I, I guess my concern is just, yeah, like that's that's a good profile if you can hit the way he did in the in the Midwest League. If you can hit like that against big league pitching. But my concern is if the holes that he has in his swing are getting exposed in a ball that they that's going to be even worse when you get to the upper levels and when you start facing major league arms you can you know throw a lot more strikes than these guys are who are you know who he's facing in in low a or in high a mm. where he can be you know extremely patient and let that work into mm-hmm. his favor to to draw walks and you know hit hit more mistakes than he's going to get um against better arms yeah it's very interesting because he is extremely patient and i think it almost borders on passive with how infrequently he swings it's a 36 percent swing rate in 2023 which is quite a bit shy of the 45 to 47 percent range that is typically average that would be one of the lower marks i believe in the big leagues and and to your point i'm curious how that approach um will lend itself once he he gets more competition at the upper levels of the minors i do think if you had to pick you would rather him be towards the more passive end in terms of swinging than than the more aggressive because he has enough power and it seems like he has a a solid enough approach at the plate that he's still going to be a productive offensive player whereas if if he's swinging all the time with the sort of contact skills he has maybe that would be more concerning but i am curious how that's going to develop if he's going to get a bit more aggressive if he does that uh is he able to maintain the sort of elite chase rates that that he has posted the last few years so i've I've cooled on him maybe a little bit because i didn't expect the the contact questions to be as big of a deal but i am still really intrigued with the profile uh and curious what he's going to do in 2024 um i also think the twins just outside of the top players they've got a lot of depth uh, and maybe it's not the most exciting depth you'll you'll see, but it does feel like there are a number of players throughout this system who can be productive big league players in some capacity, whether that's uh, reliever roles. Like a, a guy like Corey Lewis is really intriguing to me further down the list. I think they've got a number of players who can uh, impact the team at some level. It's just how, how far down the list you get where you start running out of these everyday types that... I mean, definitely Brooks Lee and Walker Jenkins have a chance to be. What, what are your thoughts on the depth of the system? Uh, I don't know. I'm not quite as high in the depth as you are. You, you mm-hmm. think like the 11 through 30 is deeper than other organizations? To me, it just seems kind like of the, in line with... Kalai Rosario being 13 to me, I, I think is really intriguing. He's another guy who has some contact questions but has a ton of power, uh, has gotten on base. It's a big arm. Like I like him... Um, I mentioned Corey Lewis. I, I don't. Pr- Brandon Winokur is not my type of player at 15 overall, but he does have a lot of tools. Uh, and so, if he can be another player who who can be an OBP and power guy, I think he's intriguing. Again, Connor Prelip has a ton of questions. I think there is even some pitchers that I would personally take over him. Um, but but he, if he comes back and is healthy, which is a huge if, he's he's really not pitched much in years. I mean, he was in consideration to be 1-1 in his draft year. It's a left-handed pitcher with big stuff. So that's just an intriguing player overall. Yuner Severino hit a bunch of homers this year. I think Noah Miller is is a lot of fun defensively. Like, So I like a lot of these players who have real warts and holes. So maybe it's just a case of like 
me liking some of these imperfect prospects more. But yeah, I, I am higher on the depth than I think you're going to be. Yeah, I think the warts are sticking out a little bit more for me than uh, they are for you. You know, I mean, Ben, when, you, when you're scouting amateur players, they always tell you to, to try and find what a player can do, not what he can't do. And you're, you're really being negative Nancy here today. Well, it's not that they're <laughs> devoid of talent. I just I wouldn't call them a deep organization. I think mm. if you look at most other middle-of-the-pack type organizations or farm systems, which I, I think this is. I think is. they are middle-of-the-pack, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it distinguishes itself from hmm. from others. I, I think it's pretty pretty standard where you have guys. Yeah, I think most organizations have guys in your 11 to through 30 who it's like, yeah, I don't know, there's a couple <laughs> things that I really like about this guy, but maybe he's super far away from uh, the big leagues. He's still in rookie ball. They just drafted him or – higher level guy who I think could be a useful reserve platoon type player or reliever who doesn't throw enough strikes, but throws really hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think through 14 really are a lot of players that I'm really intrigued with. And I think most teams, I don't get that far. And even beyond that 14 range, there are players that I'm probably just a little higher on than most people would be. So all you add all of that together. And I think it's a really intriguing system for its tier. Yes, I mean, I, I think ultimately, though, you don't I like mean, Charlie I, Soto. No, I, oh, Char, yeah, I like Charlie Soto. Yeah, I like their first round pick, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like him. But how how many top one hundred prospects do you think the Twins have right now? Probably three. Yeah, I would say at most three. Yep. So, yeah, it, <laughs> that's that. That will be about average, right? So, I think this is a perfectly average kind of cromulent farm system right now okay well well speaking of that let's move on to our next team which i think is the guardians next um i imagine the guardians and the white Sox are in a reasonably close range in your mind but i, I guess i'll just ask you do you prefer cleveland system or do you prefer the white Sox? Uh, it's kind of, i think they're close mm. i think they're close i mean man i, I wish daniel espino was <laughs> could just stay on the field because it's I mean, he, he might be – when he was healthy, I thought he was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Looked like yep. a potential front-end starter. And yep. now it's like, you know, he's barely pitched in two years. And it's a shoulder surgery, which is extremely frightening, terrifying, frankly. Hmm. Uh, the track record of that is not great. I obviously hope it works out because he had – phenomenal stuff i mean one of the best fastballs in baseball before he got hurt i mean it was yeah his, his fastball slider combo i don't know if you could really touch that with any other pitcher in the game like maybe Painter, yeah mizzy yeah. rowski yeah it, it, it whatever you wanted to put it at it would be one of the elite like two pitch combinations you can find in baseball yeah i mean he's touching 100 miles 100 plus miles an hour with mm. life i mean so i don't know wait and see but obviously even beyond him they have a whole bunch of bats who i like they clearly have a philosophy that's contact oriented uh signing a, a lot of guys both internationally and through the draft mm. that way but uh, you know chase the louder is not just a slap hitting <laughs> guy by well that's what i was going to ask about too because i think i think maybe one of the critiques you could put on cleveland system is that they they go too hard in that sort of zone control contact hitter doesn't really seem like they mind too much a lack of power. The last two drafts, they've taken Chase DeLauder, they've taken Ralphie Velazquez, 
two guys who they do have that zone control and that like play discipline and contact skills, but they also both have power. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. And again, Cleveland hasn't been picking in a range that is unusual for them. DeLauder was a middle of the middle of the first round talent. I think they maybe wouldn't have been able to access him if he hadn't hadn't been injured. Rafi Velasquez, he was taken in that 20 to 30 range and it was a, a typical Cleveland underslot, move some money around portfolio approach. So it's it's not like Maybe you could say with the louder, they typically don't get access to that sort of talent because of his injury and just what happened with that draft year. Um, but now we're, we've got Cleveland picking one because they lucked into the the first overall pick. They're going to be able to take whatever profile they want in the class. Yeah, it's not a great draft class, um, but I am curious if if they're starting to value impact and power a little bit more, or if it's simply a function of like what's what's a- available to them on the board. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do one one in 24. So I'm really intrigued by them. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, DeLauder, the start that he got off to, uh, this season was, was pretty impressive. Obviously when he was on the field, kind of a mix of hitting ability, power. Um, like you said, he's, you know, six, four, 235 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, moves really well for his size. Um, he's not the, you know, Brian Rocchio, Angel Martinez, like not <laughs> not that kind of body type. It's it's a lot of contact. It's a lot of hard contact impact too, uh, and and covers pretty good ground. And you know what, what I think will ultimately be a, you know a corner outfield spot with him and a strong arm too. So um, for a guy who sticks out physically the way he does, it's also I think a pretty well rounded skill set too. Yeah. He is a bit of an athletic freak. He, kind of the same way we're talking about Walker Jenkins defensively, a guy who's playing center now or can play center, but just looks like more of your classic right field profile, has solid arm strength, can run underway, has power. And really, the only question with him is just durability and health. I feel like every single time he's been on the field, he has performed at a high level wherever he's been. Um, so I'm kind of waiting on his first his first blip in terms of production when he's actually on the field. If you look at just his, his minor league numbers, his college numbers, his Cape numbers, there are no bad numbers to be found with him. He's always performed. I think he's got a good approach. I'm curious to see if he winds up being more like, like how much of the power does he get to? He has a ton of raw power, but he also has an approach. I don't think that fully takes advantage of it. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like, like he's making good swing decisions. He's taking his walks. I think he can use the whole field. I maybe saw Chase DeLauder might be the example of the player that I saw in person. Like I saw him bad in person very early on in the 2022 season when he was playing against FSU, he looked horrible and basically every other game he's been a monster. So I'm just not going to watch him in person. He's going to continue to thrive. That seems like a chase would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Don't show up at, at my games. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I really like Brian Rocchio, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's – like, I don't think there's a big – well, they're very different types of players, but I, I think you can make a case for Rocchio being number one in the system, too. I mean, you have a uh, a true shortstop who hit really well in AAA, has some big league experience now. Um, I, I think he gets – I don't want to say overlooked or, or underrated. I mean, he's number two in the system. He's top 100 prospect, but um, I, I think just because he's not all that big and he, and he doesn't have like crazy raw power, 
Uh, I think he can get sold short a little bit. Um, but I, I think you just look at the sum of the parts where you have a potential plus defender for a hitter who was just at AAA and walked nearly as often as he struck out, uh, knows the zone, recognizes pitches, really high instincts, high contact, bad. I think there's 10 to 15 home run type power in there. Um I don't know. I feel like him or like Andres, you could have that like Andres Jimenez type mm. value where it's like, okay, maybe there's nothing insane that jumps off the page uh, in terms of uh, like a, a raw tool, but the, the mm-hmm. sum of the parts could be uh, certainly a, a, an average everyday big leaguer. And I, I think a chance to be a, a plus regular at, at shortstop too. Yeah, I think that defensive profile maybe could be the separator if you wanted to make the case for him as a top player in the system. I think your point about him maybe going overlooked is a good one. He almost feels like he just falls into this Cleveland prospect profile that they have so many of, like this advanced defender, middle of the infield, contact-oriented, good approach, not going to chase a lot. Like There are a lot of players in this system that, that you could describe similarly I would still prefer to louder because I think he's got as good of an approach or better with the sort of physicality and power and, and supplemental tools that I think just give you more impact. But the fact that you think he can be a plus defender at shortstop, I think is a, maybe a separator that has me intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just look up and down their system, you know, whether it's signing angel Martinez, uh, trading for Juan Brito from the Rockies. Yeah. A lot of these contact oriented, <laughs> And I don't think it's – I'm just looking at their organizational depth chart. The amount of shortstops they have is – it's always pretty impressive. But they they also traded for Khalil Watson. He he certainly doesn't fit the typical Cleveland offensive player MO, which is maybe another point about me wondering, like, if they're trying to diversify their approach a little bit there. Um, But just the amount of players they have that are legitimate prospects at an up-the-middle position, I I would include – just kind of your your diamond position, shortstop, second base, center field. Like there are a lot of intriguing players at these positions. Um, you got Jason Chorio, you've got Petey Halpin, who has done really well offensively. Even a guy who, who maybe isn't one of their better prospects now, but Christian Napchik, um, Alex Mooney. Like these players fit what Cleveland has gone after and targeted, and the depth there is maybe stands out in this system. Yeah, I mean they have one Welbin Francisca who uh, was their big, well, big in terms of bonus, not in terms of uh, <laughs> size, kind of a littler guy. Um, but, you know, their big international signing from uh, January this year, um, if you're listening to this in 2023 still. Um, but he, he had a really good year in the DSL. He's always really stood out uh, just for his hitting ability. Uh, ball, ball comes off his bat pretty well for somebody who's, you know, maybe – five eight five nine at uh on a good day uh but just a lot of feel for for the barrel so i, I think he's somebody who could take a big step forward next year when he comes to the states kind of like jason churio did this year he's jackson churio's younger brother um <laughs> he's he's a very good player I'm, I'm really excited about jason churio he's just a very different type of player than his brother i mean like we talked about with jackson churio uh, just such a dynamic athlete with power, speed, still needs to rein in the swing decisions if you need to 
you know, nitpick a guy who could be, you know, the top two type prospects in baseball and has been number one at some point for us. Mm. Uh, whereas Jason, Jason really excels in terms of his ability to pick up spin, recognize pitches, control the strike zone. He's not the same. He does run well. He doesn't have the same kind of power and impact that Jackson does, but um, he's also just a, a very advanced, instinctive player, a very polished hitter. He, he does kind of fit that uh, Cleveland MO. He's not as you know small as uh, Weldon mm. Francisco or some of the other guys we, we just mentioned. But, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of offensive traits, especially uh, to like with him, just a, a very different player than mm. his older and much richer brother. <laughs> you know, another thing that's kind of interesting about Cleveland's system right now is that they have a reputation as being a really – advanced pitching development org do you think the well is running a little bit dry on arms most of the players at the top of the system are hitters one of those is daniel espino who has pretty huge question marks and then one of their next most exciting pitching prospects after espino is alex clemmy who they took in the 2023 draft in the second round i would say outside of his age doesn't really fit the typical cleveland mo at all he's this stuff over strikes pitcher and I typically think of Cleveland being the inverse of that and then coaxing a little bit more velocity out of a player once they get into pro ball. What are your thoughts on the Clemmy pick? I know you've got to see him quite a bit. Uh, as we approached the draft, I was surprised with how many people thought there wasn't too much separation between Alex Clemmy and a guy like Thomas White, uh, who was the top left-handed pitcher in the high school class in 23. But I am intrigued with what they're able to do, what Cleveland is able to do with a guy like Clemmy who is an impressive athlete, has been into the upper 90s, has a lot of projection to his six foot six frame, has flashed a sharp breaking ball at times, and really just needs to kind of refine some of the more nuanced aspects of pitching. It's it's a lot of clay to work with here. Uh, where are you at on Clemmy? Um, yeah, to me, there's a bigger, and from the scouts I talked to you too, it seemed like there's a bigger separation between him and uh, Thomas White, who went... Um, earlier and got a you know bigger bonus too from the Marlins. Uh but yeah, I mean like like he's he's young uh for the class, six foot six, throws really hard, uh has flashed a good breaking ball. Um there's a lot of a lot of effort to the delivery and a lot of issues throwing strikes that I, yeah. I think are related. a lot of reliever risks to me. Yeah. So if yeah, if I had to make a bet, it, it probably would be a reliever long term. But you know, certainly no reason to uh, put him there right now. I think he's in a good spot in a good organization to get the most out of what he what he has. He's going to need to, I think, develop a a better changeup. I mean, when you're a little six foot six left handed pitcher who can touch you know ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour in Rhode Island, like yeah, you don't really need a changeup. Um, you don't really need anything else to get guys out. So it just hasn't been a focus for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, like you know, they graduated Gavin Williams too. So I, I think that uh, makes it look like their system is maybe lighter on pitchers, even though he's still mm -hmm. in the organization yeah, that's a good right point. now. Um, and then obviously Espino getting hurt takes a big uh, – big ding for the their arms but yeah it's always it, it seems like it's not just their top draft picks uh who have been pitchers who they've developed it's just the other mm. 
guys too where you're like oh like they were able to coax some more miles an hour uh more velocity out of this guy or uh this player ended up being a lot better than we expected based on uh where he was coming into the draft so uh kind of curious to see if some of these guys deeper down their mm. list are, are players who the guardians are able to get a little bit more out of than than we were thinking yeah if they do that parker messick who ranks toward the back of their system but but really loved his approach in college left-handed pitcher with a really advanced change up probably above average or plus pitch there i think he could be really good but uh, no a fun system if maybe not the most uh impactful looking system that they've had in recent years any other things to say about cleveland or should we move on to chicago well you mentioned Vol- ralphie velasquez i, I really mm. like him yeah. too it's like you said he has power but I, I think what's always stood out for me is just how advanced of a hitter he has it's a really really good left-handed swing it's short it's adjustable it's if it's on the inner third he can turn on it and he can turn on it for power uh, if it's you know middle away he can drive it the opposite way with ease whereas a lot of hitters uh that age and he's young for the class like he just turned 18 mm-hmm. a couple months before the draft yeah pretty um, much I'm all sure. of the, the players they're going to be drafting are, are young for the class it seems like yeah so it's you know like again yeah, a, a lot of hitters that age get a little pull heavy and it leads to holes in their swing and uh, he just doesn't really have that i, I think he's uh, very mature in his offensive approach for a teenager uh, draft him yeah. as a catcher he does have a strong arm if he can stay there great uh, i think there's a pretty high risk that he ends up moving to first base but um as as high as the bar is to clear there as uh offensively for that position i think he has the upside to do it because i'm just such a big fan of his hitting ability Mm -hmm. his approach and his power did i tell you my tyler soderstrom comp that i had on velasquez what do you think about that Uh, hit first catcher out of california left-handed hitter good approach power risk to move off the position i actually am curious about velasquez's defensive ability in his draft year, I'd say during the fall of his draft year, I talked to some scouts who thought he had made a, a nice improvement in the fall with his catching and his receiving ability. It definitely felt like it was a lot of work to do. He does have a big arm. I think it's a plus arm. I'm maybe more excited about his his honest to stick at catcher just because we have seen so many catchers take steps forward once they're in pro ball, once they get to work on their defensive game every day, get better instruction. There are some athlete questions that I'm concerned about. Like, he's a bigger guy. Does he get too big? Like, how, how is his mobility behind the plate? Like, he definitely needs to work, but I think he has the tools, and it, it sounds like he's got the worth at work ethic to make it happen. Uh, and obviously, the, the bat is going to be much more appealing if he can stick behind the dish. And I also think the Guardians have, have already done this with Bo Naylor, who certainly didn't have a reputation as being a great defensive catcher, but pretty quickly... True. In pro ball, I think like the reports about his receiving, just his work in general behind the plate got pretty positive pretty quickly. And so again, next year when we get a full season, when scouts can really scout him up behind the dish, I'm really curious to see what he's looking like defensively because it wouldn't shock me if he went in either direction. And I think that if I had to pick one, I'd maybe be a little bit more excited about his his odds to stick. All right. I mean, yeah, that's why we both <laughs> like him quite a... <laughs> quite a bit then for maybe some different 
reasons. But yeah, I think even if yeah. he, but yeah, the Bo Naylor point is is a good one. Um, I, I think we've also seen a lot of guys who were drafted at yeah. catcher out of high school where um, goes the other way. And I think maybe a big separation in why Bo Naylor might not be the best comparison is I think Bo Naylor is quite a bit better of an athlete than Ralphie is, at least what I've seen. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I think the bat is really the calling card for him. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I can see what you mean as far as a an offensive minded catcher uh, with him. And if you don't like the comp, too. you can just say it, Ben. You don't have to. You don't have to cozy well, up to me. I don't want to turn into the <laughs> comp police. I mean, it's always like it's it's comp, right? It's not. We'll have it, Josh on for that. It's a comparable player, not a clone <laughs> of the player. Everybody's going to have some differences. I always find that's helpful too. Just ask when, like when I'm on the talking to scouts about a player like oh does is, is does he remind you of this guy do you think that's mm-hmm. a good comp because then it, it's always helpful when they point out well the i difference you mean. The yeah the difference yeah. Is, like here's here's where the same yeah i get where you're coming from but this is why they're different it helps. you know that's actually like one of the more like the one of the differences i've noticed in the last few years just having a having a bit of history with the draft now and having seen players come up and come through and watch the scouting process and see how they change in pro ball, just having a bigger library of players to, to call upon for comps and asking like, Oh, does he remind you of such and such player who was drafted a few years ago that in my head, I'm picturing him in that range. And you're right. The feedback that you then get from that comment, like where they're similar and where they're different, help you like contextualize the player even more, more accurately sometimes. So the differences of a comp maybe are as helpful as the similarities. Yeah, and I was on the phone today with somebody who comped, he comped a guy to a player. He's like, oh, did you remember him? I was like, no, I think he like came up maybe before I was born. <laughs> um, so you can definitely go uh, deeper into the database mm-hmm. and then end up going on baseball reference and being like, who, the f- who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, I've learned about a lot of players that I had no idea about when, when I'm talking to a veteran scout and they give me a, a player who, who definitely retired before I was born. So that's always fun. Yeah, I was like, I don't think I can use that because I think <laughs> 2% of our audience might know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, let's move on to Chicago. Um, some really exciting players up top in the White Sox system, Colson Montgomery, um, speaking of comps, actually, I, we can talk about the comp that Colson Montgomery seems to get over and over again, and it's maybe my least favorite comp in baseball right now. It's just such a popular one. Uh, but they've got Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz topping the system. It feels like a top-heavy system to me, but those two players are really exciting to lead off with. I mean, I know you really loved Schultz in high school. Once once he got into pro ball and started adding more power like we expected him to, he flashed some really disgusting stuff at times. But where are you at on the White Sox? Where are you at on Colson Montgomery? Uh, just what are your thoughts overall on the system? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. The depth is definitely uh, lacking here. Oh, there's still some guys a little bit deeper down who – uh, you know who I who I like some, but um, yeah, I, I agree. Like it's you're talking about a small number of uh, top 100 type prospects here. Certainly, Colson Montgomery, certainly Noah Schultz will be there. But yeah, I mean, I, I love Noah Schultz. Uh, loved him in high school. Uh, the summer before his draft year, he's six foot nine, and usually those guys are. Uh, arms and legs flying all over the place, but he seemed to have unusual body coordination for a 
long, lanky teenager. And that was the case in uh, in pro ball this year. We saw he threw a lot of strikes and with really good stuff. The stuff jumped yep. up the spring before his draft year. Um, I, it seemed like going in. I mean, before he, he got sick, he was yeah. being talked about as a mid-first round type. He was like in the mid-90s touching upper 90s it was like ridiculous comps that were put on him the breaking ball was harder i think the the one like the the thing you can learn with noah schultz when you're like projecting a player when we watched him in high school ben he had a very i would say loopy and soft breaking ball but the pitch had a ton of depth and a ton of spin and he was able to spot it so well that it was it felt like such an easy pitch to project to be like a plus or better offering when he added the power and now he has added more of the power it, it seems like the breaking ball is more in that 80 mile per hour range when it was previously around 75 so in addition to like the really advanced feel for spin it's got some of that sharpness and some of that biting action that's just harder especially when you're talking about a left-handed hitter who's going to have to pick the ball up from like behind his own back given the the low slot and the length of his levers on the mound um yeah, I, I'm. I want him to stay healthy. He only pitched in ten starts this year. He did deal with. Um, that was a big uh, damper at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So he was delayed early on. What did he deal with at the end of the year? It was the well the flexor strain that he okay. had. So. Um, yeah, yeah. So if he can stay healthy, like you said, he, he it was a five point eight percent walk rate. The stuff we're talking about is crazy. It's a six foot nine lefty with really outlier body control and just feel for where he's at in space to maximize the stuff. Like it's it's huge, huge upside. I think um, I just want him to stay healthy for a full season. Yeah, no, you got to throw more than twenty seven innings. As as exciting as the stuff is, and I think I've probably even been higher on the slider. Like I always thought it just had yeah good shape good action good spin to it um just didn't have look he like he was like 88 92 or so um the summer before when he was at showcases and but you could see yeah this is like a six foot nine uh not total beanpole but not, not a lot of strength on him at the time i yeah, think when, beanpole would have been accurate he's he was pretty lean <laughs> okay yeah uh, i guess i've just seen like you know i remember yuri perez when he was uh, six foot. Yeah. I mean, four, maybe he wasn't Michael Mercado esque. <laughs> yeah. You remember yeah, not, Mercado? Or like, yeah, Tristan McKenzie. Yeah. Kinda, McKenzie's a good one. Still, that. he's still a beanpole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, just once, once he gets stronger, you can see everything's going to take up. He's going to start throwing more velo on his fastball. The slider is going to be thrown with more power too to go with the action and in the spin that's already there so it was like okay so many it's just the you know the classic picture that you can dream on with so many projection arrows that are pointing up and that projection has started to materialize now and the stuff is extremely exciting but then the risk is still like yeah he didn't throw like 30 innings <laughs> this year and as good as the numbers were those are all in pretty short stints where he's not having to work mm -hmm. through a lineup even you know more than once <laughs> in in a lot of cases so uh, a lot of upside still a lot of risk but um you know he hasn't had uh, surgery 
or, or anything like that. I don't think so. Mm. Um, still a lot to really, really be excited about for a young pitcher. All right, so we kind of skipped over the top prospect in the White Sox system because we're both so excited about Noah Schultz. But I think there are also some some similarities here with Colson Montgomery, uh, who's the top prospect in the system. Also large for his position, which gets into the the comp that I really hate with him. It feels like it feels like Colson Montgomery was the start of the Corey Seager comp to every shortstop trend that we've been on recently. Uh, Montgomery was drafted uh, in the first round in 2021, and it really feels like since then, Seager has been the comp that that he gets, and every other shortstop who is taller than six foot three and hits left-handed is comp to Seager. And I really want to retire a Corey Seager comp for at least five years, so we don't overuse it because that one drives me crazy. Not uh, Marcelo Meyer too. Yes, he got it as well. Yeah. If yeah. you're a big, not, if you're again, if you're over six three, you're a left-handed hitting shortstop. You're getting a Corey Seager comp. It's almost yeah. guaranteed. <laughs> well, there's just not too many of those guys. So if you're all, if if you like them, that's Lazy gonna be comp. the first guy you, you think like, about. No, I don't like it. I'm, I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, what are you, where are you at on Colson Montgomery? Because he's he's missed a lot of time. He's dealt with issues. He's had back issues. Uh, how many games did he even play in 2023? He played 10 games in rookie ball, 17 games at high A, 37 games at double A. When he was on the field, he was pretty much solid or, or great at every level. He's got a chance to be an impact hitter with power. Uh, he's got above average defensive ability. He's got above average arm strength. It's a really advanced approach. Um, what sort of range are we thinking about Colson Montgomery in terms of his prospect status in the game and how concerning or not concerning was the 2023 season for you? I think, yeah, he's got a chance to be in that top 25 type group. I think that's fair for him. Um, yeah. I mean, especially if, if you think he's Corey Seager, Carlos, it's, <laughs> I don't know why he would put him outside that group, but oh, God. Just, yeah, another, just another very well-rounded, I guess maybe other than the, the running, he, he's not a fast guy by any means, but, mm. um, but otherwise a pretty well-rounded there you go. Corey Seager come. player. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Marcelo Meyer too. He doesn't really, he's not a runner either, mm. but uh, otherwise, identical to, to Corey Seager. <laughs> but no, I mean, Mont- Montgomery's a really good athlete. I think there's a lot of polish at the plate. There's uh, size, strength, uh, hitting ability. Um, I think he's, his feet work well at shortstop. He seems to have, uh, you know, good reads. He's able to read, read hops well, has the internal clock uh, for shortstop. Uh, I know there's other people who are, are more more split on his defensive ability where where they see him moving off the position, uh, yeah. whether it's you know his his size or, or just the actions that he has in the infield that could push him over to third base or maybe the outfield. But uh, I think the the athleticism and the offensive ability and and the power. That he has, yeah, I think he absolutely belongs in, you know, not that elite tier of, you know, the junior Camineros, uh, Jackson Churio and and mm. those guys, but, um, you know, whatever tier we have, <laughs> that's, hmm. uh, you know, maybe a tick behind them. I think he yep. belongs in that range. Yeah, I think so too. I, I feel like it, for some reason, I feel like Colson Montgomery has been around longer than he actually has been. And I almost feel myself like getting a bit of prospect fatigue with Colson Montgomery which doesn't make sense because he really hasn't played that many games in the last three years 
Um, but he's been really productive every time he's been on the field. Uh, he gets on base a lot. I love the fact that that I think he's going to be an above average hitter with power and uh, good swing decisions. So I think it'll be average OBP and power. I don't really mind too much like where he winds up defensively. It'll be shortstop or third base for me, and I think he'll probably be solid at either position. I'm not envisioning gold glove awards in his future, but I think that he just has a chance to be a really solid above average hitter. Um, so that's exciting to me. I think he is a pretty solid athlete, actually, despite maybe a lack of pure foot speed. Uh, I, again, like no Schultz, I just really want him to stay healthy. It's feel, it feels like he's dealt with a number of, of injury issues that have really gotten into his playing time. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's a, a really solid all-around prospect. All right. What about beyond those guys? Do you... Yeah. <laughs> Gets a little dicier. Gets a little dicier for me. And especially because their first-round pick this year, Jacob Gonzalez, like I think where he went was perfectly fine on value. He was just would have been one of the players that I would have gone elsewhere. He's got a good approach. He's shown bats of all skills. He's shown power. He's he's maybe similar to Colson Montgomery defensively in that he doesn't really look like a shortstop. He doesn't have great foot speed. I have some questions. Like I think Colson Montgomery is a better overall athlete than Jacob Gonzalez, but at the same time, Gonzalez played shortstop for Mississippi his entire career. He played shortstop multiple years for Team USA. He's like a workman-like shortstop who makes every play. It feels like everyone is projecting him to move off the position, but he's just kind of steadily continued to play there. And, and get everything done. I just, the setup and the swing really concern me. I just, I'm and I'm typically one who's like, I don't really care how they do it. If, if they're producing, it doesn't really matter what it looks like, but it's such an odd setup. It's such a pull heavy approach in college. I really want to know what he's going to do on the outer third when he's facing better secondaries. In college, he would just take any pitches on the outer third and he could just get his bat out in front of them and yank them to the pull side with impact and it wasn't really much of an issue. I do think that he'll have some carrying skills and just the swing decisions and the fact that he's always taking his walks. There was even a stretch in college, his sophomore year, where the ball really wasn't falling for him and he was still getting on base at like a 40% clip. So that is encouraging, but I wonder about his hit tool and about his swing. Um and so, yeah, there, I mean, there are a number of other players we could get into, but where are you at with Jacob Gonzalez? Yeah, the, the swing certainly has unorthodox components to it that um, I think will be tested or maybe it already have been <laughs> tested um, against better pitching. And then he he does have very good, a uh, very good eye for the strike zone. He seems to recognize pitches extremely well. Um, there wasn't a lot of power that he showed in pro that was I mean, surprising. it was four yeah, extra base hits in 34 games, one home run. Uh, and I think the, and the exit velocity data is also, it wasn't just like counting stats. So the, the actual data we have on, on how hard the balls come out the bat is not what you want to see. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I, I said, like Kevin McGonigal, he's going to be better than some of the guys that <laughs> went ahead of him. Uh, I think that would be, uh, one one where I would bet mm. on uh, maybe McGonagall and, and some other guys who went later than him. But, yeah, the, I mean, the track record that he had in the SEC uh, at Ole Miss is, is very impressive. But mm. uh, certainly questions with the the swing and, and then some more questions that popped up 
Like um, what if what if he just winds up being like a Jacob another Jacob Berry type where the the college track record is superlative and you feel really confident about the hit the OBP the power and then in pro ball it just it's just not there like that that'd be my concern. Uh, yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, there's some more defensive value there. He can play on the left side of the infield, whether that's shortstop or third base. But it's not like yeah, he's the, known for his glove, though. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's it's kind of the thing where like if he can stick there, you feel really excited about his bat, but you're probably putting pushing him off to third base where he could be fine. Yeah, um, I mean they do. Have, I mean Brian Ramos. I'm not quite there, uh, but there's hmm. you can find scouts who really love Brian Ramos, third baseman. Uh, that the White Sox signed out of Cuba, um, man, like a while ago now, it uh, feels like. But um, definitely kind of a mix of contact, impact with him. Uh, Edgar Caro, who they traded for with the Angels, a catcher who got to double-A at 20 years old too. So um, there's there's definitely other guys in the system to like. Yeah, there are um, their draft. Just kind of looking through the players that they took, I like them going with Grant Taylor out of LSU in the second round. I feel like one of the limitations of this draft class in, in twenty three was like the second tier college pitching depth. Taylor was a player who was injured. Um, he didn't throw at all during the spring, but I think the pure stuff is exciting. The fastball can be plus. The curveball could be above average. Uh, spins it really well. High spin rates in the 2700, 2800 range. He's been up to 99. So that's an arm I like. Um, beyond that, there are some picks. Like I, I like a few arms they took on day three. Matthias Lacombe uh, out of Cochise College. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that college right. Uh, in Arizona, he's like an intriguing day three pick for me that that's interesting there was another arm that i looked at that i was excited about oh it wasn't day three it was day two christian opper a left-handed pitcher out of gulf coast jc like these are two really exciting junior college arms that that have some stuff and are probably projection candidates that i'm intrigued by i think i'm probably going to be I'm curious where you're at with this player because this is a player who's not your typical mo ben but i think that you're pretty high on him but george wolkow in the seventh round for a million dollars, that would have been a little too much for my taste, just given some of my concerns with his hitting ability. But he is exceptionally young for the class. He was just 17 and a half on draft day. He reclassified from the 2024 class. I'm really curious where he would have ranked right now on our 2024 board if he didn't do that. But he's got gigantic raw power, easy 70 raw. I mean, he was showing some of the best uh batting practice home run power that we saw between high school and college players at the draft combine uh he's got huge arm strength he runs really well for his size he's a massive player six foot seven Um, so it's easy to dream on him but i just felt like i saw him get overmatched offensively pretty consistently And, and just given the length and given his age and the competition he was facing maybe you expect that so it's a really tough evaluation for me and i'm curious where you're at with him because again you, you typically like the hitter-ish shorter guys and Molkow is very much not that but he is kind of a freak yeah he's 17 years old flashing you know plus plus raw power he's six foot seven he, he might end up with 80 raw power uh, but there are pretty significant questions about swing and miss strikeouts uh you know probably similarities to caden grice who was a two-way at Clemson, uh, really more known for his power and, and ability as a position player first and uh, now is in 
pro ball more on the <laughs> sounds like more of a pitcher. So and and Wolkow is a strong arm too, and is also you know similar size six 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 seven. Um, I, just, I I don't know. I kind of like the fit just as a a local Illinois high school product staying in state going to the white Sox. hey the the cubs drafted ed howard and people love that tie-in too so i'm I'm not necessarily moved by the geography of it <laughs> well uh, i'm i'm not you know it's it's your seventh round pick when you're giving them <laughs> it's a million, a million dollar dollars. pick though too it's yeah, not your it's, typical seventh round pick it's a million dollars but it's also not you know you're not using your first round or your second rounds sure. early selection like there's only so many options you have for Sure. Um, like even like you could sign a high school pitcher who falls later in the draft for a million dollars, and they're probably going to have pretty significant holes too. So mm. um, I think even look, even some of the swing and miss was there. Hey, you could have was... taken you could have taken that million dollars and, and drafted Kevin McGonigal in the second round, though, Ben. Too, if you want to talk about moving your money around, Kevin McGonigal, he didn't sign for a million dollars. What are you talking about? I'm saying you could you could have not taken Grant Taylor and put your million dollars of George Volkow and added it with. Grant Taylor's 1.6, and maybe you could have just taken someone like Kevin McGonagall higher. Oh, yeah, instead of Jacob Gonzalez. Or, I mean, Jacob Gonzalez is then Kevin McGonagall. Again, maybe you can't do that because you don't have that much money. You don't want to invest too top heavily in your draft, but I, I'm basically just annoying you, Ben. Continue with your point. Yeah, it's look, it's it's high risk, high reward, uh, probably low probability of everything clicking i mean even some of the you know he talked about how he reclassified the swing and miss was still there when he was facing 2024s so mm. um that's i think it's just always going to be part of his game but it's not a it's i don't think it's a bad swing like some guys i see striking out a lot um i can think of certain guys right now where it's just like yeah he's striking out because he has a terrible <laughs> swing that needs to be totally overhauled mm. i don't think that's the case with Wolkow. i think it's just He's a six foot seven, seventeen year old yep. kid who's, um, you know, that's just gonna come with the territory. Um, so I, you know, I, I I can see why they made that made that bet. So I was about to ask if you think Wolko should have actually reclassified because he would look mighty appealing in this twenty twenty four class. But it's also kind of hard to to knock him for reclassing and getting a million dollars. So I think it I think it worked out as he as he intended and hoped. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the issues there. Any any uh, other debt players in the White Sox system, or any other guys you want to touch on before we move on to our final team in the division? Yeah, I mean, we should get a photo of George Wolkow at six foot seven with uh, Javier Mogollon, who's a mm. uh, uh, short. Well, they moved him right to second base as soon as he signed. Who's five foot, probably five foot eight, uh, infielder, second baseman. They signed him out of Venezuela this year. He was a $75,000 signing. We had him as the sleeper of that signing class because he can he can really hit, uh, and he can hit with power, too. I mean, he hit 10 home runs in, uh, I don't know how many games this year, the DSL, probably like 50 games. It's not a long season. So, um, you know, he's hitting balls over the batter's eye in center field um, for a 17 17- 17 year old kid who's five foot eight it's not something you typically see uh, a lot of contact contact and impact to uh, uses the middle of the field uh, seems to have a pretty good idea of the strike zone for his age uh, not like a great defender but I think there's enough there for him to uh, 
handle second base. Just somebody who really flew under the radar, probably because of his size in Venezuela. But I'm, uh, I'm definitely a believer in the bat, and it's not just some little slap hitting second baseman. He can he can drive the ball with some authority too. Yeah, that power from that frame sounds exciting. But if you do want a slap hitting second baseman who's small, the White Sox also took Riku Nishida in the eleventh round, and he is five foot six, about one hundred and fifty pounds, uh, and he is very much a, a little slap hitting second baseman. But those two next to Wolcat would be a fun picture. Okay, we'll uh, we'll contact the Guardians for future <laughs> for the White trades. Sox. Oh, yeah. for, for future trades. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Royals, who are the most ex- excuse me, not the what? most exciting, maybe the least exciting organization uh, that we have. I think it was a pretty easy choice. Every year we do the farm system rankings, number one and number 30 are almost always feel pretty easy, like they're pretty clear cases. The Royals... I mean, it doesn't look great for them. A year ago, they were 29. Spoiler alert, we're going to have them 30. It's not a great system right now. It was extremely difficult to even find who would rank number one in this Royal system, which is not what you want if you're a rebuilding team and you've been picking at the top of the draft. Um, I mean, what what do we have to say about this system, Ben? Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of high draft picks that have... Um, not not clicked for mm. them um and for yeah. a team that's been recent names include asa lacy frank mazzucato gavin cross all those guys their stock has fallen either significantly or just fallen in general since they've been selected uh, hopefully that's not the case with blake mitchell who's their most recent first round pick and also their top prospect and i, I think like the fact that you have a high school catcher who was drafted on an underslot deal the back of the 10 like ranking one like tells you that it's a weak system like typically that player is not ranking number one in a farm system um but you just need some guys to actually go out and perform before you have any confidence really in what what kansas city is producing they do have new scouting director now so maybe things will change mm-hmm. in terms of their philosophy brian bridges comes over from san francisco he was a national cross checker with them he was previously a scouting director with the braves he had a few really successful um drafts there i think the austin riley draft was his in anderson i believe is also a player uh who he drafted so a number of of solid drafts there uh, i will be curious to see if if we see like a noticeable change in the players they're targeting or maybe traits they're targeting but uh, obviously shaking some things up there um but in terms of what they have now uh, there's not a lot to be excited about yeah and for a team that's in a rebuilding mode where they're picking at the top of the draft. Uh, they should be. They they have a bigger bonus pool typically than most other clubs, and we're not seeing the a lot of later round picks either that have come through. And and especially really especially after their strategy for a number of these drafts has been to save money with their first pick. And if you're doing that, presumably you're trying to just spread your money around to other picks in the draft, like. I also it's hard to give them credit for Bobby Witt at number two in 2019 like you just happened to be picking there when there was a pretty clear player to target but beyond that yeah but both Frank Mazzucato and Blake Mitchell being under slot picks when they're picking at seven and eight in the the draft I mean maybe it's easy in hindsight now 
to say that that you maybe should have taken someone outside of Mazzucato again we'll see with Blake Mitchell but it is just odd that like the strategy has been underslotting guys there instead of just taking the best players on the board well then you know Gavin Cross who was the ninth overall pick out of Virginia Tech in 2022 hmm. um just I, I don't know what to say it just did not have a good year mm-hmm. it was uh not not great feedback from <laughs> from the pro scouting world this year on him so um you know and it's a again like if you're rebuilding you you would think there would be more more prospects acquired through trades too to hmm. supplement the just just drafting. two in their top 30 now have been acquired by trade everyone else is homegrown yeah, not mostly college, high school, just two international prospects. I mean, wh- what's your sense of where the Royals are in the international market these days? Uh, yeah, I mean, they made changes there, too, in terms of their personnel. Um, mm. You know, Renee Francisco has been there for a long, long time. I mean, going back to when they signed uh, uh, Salvador Perez and uh, and Jordano Ventura. Uh, those guys so um but he had been more involved on the and, and still is on the major league side but uh i think he has uh they, they kind of brought him to um lead the the international side in, in a more hands-on role again now going forward so I, I think this year this upcoming class they'll they'll sign a really good shortstop from cuba uh yandel ricardo so i think that should help i think he's one of the better international players this year uh and then they do have man they have one of my one of my favorite sleepers in Ramon Ramirez, uh, catcher they signs out of Venezuela this year. Uh, we also had him. He was, you know, a smaller bonus signing out of Venezuela. We had him as one of the, the sleepers in that system, and he had a he had a bonkers good year in the DSL. Uh, yeah, he did three forty four, four forty six, fifteen, eight homers. Yeah, got on base, slug. Um, it's a really good swing, too. I mean, came over for, I think it was Instructs. More people got to see him there. Uh, I really like the way the swing works. It, it's compact. Uh, a lot of bat speed comes through uh, the hitting zone really well, uh, which I think helps him make a lot of contact. And then he, uh, you know, some of the reviews from, from out there on his defense were pretty good, too. But, uh, man, I, I just really like his offensive potential. Uh, especially if he's able to stick behind the plate, so he's he's somebody for for me where uh, I think he's I think he's underrated. Like I'd I'd have him way higher, and I I think he's somebody who could really hmm. explode now in twenty twenty four when he comes to the the states for what I assume would be the Arizona Complex League. But I also wonder if he's so advanced that they might push him a little bit more aggressively. Oh, that doesn't. Mm-hmm typically strike me as the the royals mo with their younger latin players yeah and especially if you want both him and blake mitchell to be catching like how how you're staggering those guys because it does seem like a lot of uh a lot of the value of this system is reliance on 18 year old or or 19 year old catchers i'm not sure if they'll both be in there i think they'll both be in their age 19 seasons uh in a year so obviously a a pretty risky demographic uh on the domestic front maybe less risky uh, in terms of the perception in the international market but that's an exciting one that that you pulled out ben i wasn't really too aware of him and the season he had is pretty phenomenal so it doesn't take much in the system if you're playing a premium position uh you think he's got a chance to stick there and he's hitting like that i mean that makes a player pop out pretty quickly to me um and i'm probably the highest in the office i'm blake mitchell it wasn't the most exciting pro debut but 
the saving grace uh, for him was he he still managed to get on base at a high clip. It was just 13 games in the ACL. He did walk 17 times to 14 strikeouts. I think he's got a chance to be a solid average defender with a, a plus plus arm and then above average raw power as a left-handed hitting catcher. So I like that profile overall. Again, he'll need to prove the pure hit tool. Uh, it's a long way to go. Uh, it's probably going to be a long developmental timeline, um, but it doesn't seem like the Royals are, are ready to compete anytime soon. Although Bobby Wood Jr. needs some help because he looked pretty good this year. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Bobby. <laughs> All right, any other players to mention with the Royals? Again, we haven't touched on them too much, but like, do you have any hope for guys like Frank Mazzucato or Caden Wallace or Nick Lofton, some of the other guys who are near the top of the system, uh, kind of in lieu of any other prospects to put there? Um, it's pro- How many top 100 prospects do you think they have? Zero? Probably none, right? Yeah, probably like, zero. You, I could see a case for Blake Mitchell if he had had a better pro debut, but it's hard to argue for him now given what he showed in 13 games, like he, he would have always been on the fringe just given where his status was pre-draft, where he went, what he signed for. Like there are some guys who ranked behind him who are on now, just given some performances. Um, I would have to be like so out on a limb in terms of confidence in that profile to push for him. And I think even then, like no one else in the office would probably follow me until he actually does some more. So I don't think, I don't think he's really earned a spot um, on that list now. I think he could, but he's going to have to go out and hit and improve it and add some conviction to the profile from from other people who are not named me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mazzucato has traits to like. Uh, the curveball has always been his bread and butter pitch, yep. but um, the velocity hasn't come on yet. Hopefully, it it can tick up, but if not, it's kind of fringy average. Velocity and then also the strikes are something that needs to take a, yeah, a big big step forward. So, um, you know, he was younger for for a high school pick in that twenty one draft. It's some pitching is not a certainly not a linear development path for a lot of guys. So it's possible that he, you know, everything could click for him in the next couple of years uh, where the strikes come together and he starts throwing harder, but um, really you're kind of hoping that that projection would have already come on at, mm-hmm. at this point, which uh, again, like there's certainly still traits to like there can miss a ton of bats with that curveball, uh, but uh, velocity needs to tick up and, and the strikes definitely need to take a step forward. Yeah. Caden Wallace is kind of an interesting hitting prospect. I mean, he's got a chance to to hit well, field pretty well at third base. He's got massive arm strength. He's got solid power. But again, I don't have like a ton of conviction in his pure hitting ability. He hasn't been tested too much in the upper levels of the minors just yet in the brief sample. It wasn't great. wasn't terrible. But I mean, he's kind of intriguing and everything pans out. I think he could be a solid everyday player, but... Um, yeah, it's just it's just hard to get too excited about players in the system at this stage for Kansas City. Um, I mean, they're going to be picking six next year. You would want to be picking number one if you're in this spot. Um, it's not the case. So hopefully they can infuse some more talent with the international market coming around in January and then with some changes on their um, player acquisition side. And the Ramon Ramirez breakout in 2024. Yeah, you called it. You heard it here first, folks. That's right. All right. Should we go to some uh, some questions? Yeah, do we have any questions today? I believe so. 
All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, we do. Okay, uh, Colin Reagan on Instagram asks, why is Jack Caglione not the number one overall draft prospect for 2024, given his two-way ability? Uh, it's because I don't like the way he pronounces his last name. The first silent N <laughs> trips me up. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. And so because of that, he's not number one on the board. Ben? Uh, I thought he was like Shohei Otani, you were telling me. <laughs> I have never told you that. I would, I would never. you told me. I have never told you that, and I would not tell you that. I think Jeff Passan maybe told you that in the College World Series, but I did not tell you that. Um, yeah, the, the two-way thing with Jack is interesting. It's going to be fun to see that play out throughout the spring. Uh, recently, actually, we got a question on who the most likely to do the two-way experiment in pro ball is. There are a lot of legitimate two-way players in this class, but I do think Jack is probably the best bet if someone wanted to commit to it. But the, the simple reason that Jack does not rank number one in the class is because no one in the industry that I talked to thought he was the number one player in the class. And I think the reason is because despite his massive tools on both sides of the ball, he also has pretty serious flaws that need to be corrected. Um, as a hitter, it's just approach, swing decisions, chase, contact. Like all of those are really questionable. He is a big player. He's six foot five. He's got a lot of length to the swing, a lot of length in the levers. It's a steep path. I mean, you probably want a steep path that's conducive to fly balls if you have the sort of elite raw power that he does have but i know there are going to be questions that scouts have all spring about what is the hit tool going to be like in pro ball he had one of the lowest walk rates of all these elite college hitters in the class um and just with the strikeouts he's shown with the aggressiveness in zone there are just going to be questions about how much of that power he gets to and what sort of hitter are you looking at if he's just a hitter only. If he's just a pitcher only, he does have a huge fastball. He's been up to in the upper 90s. He averaged 95 from the left side, but it's a very sprayed. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of erratic control on the mound. Uh, he's going to need to refine his, his delivery, throw more strikes, show more consistency with his secondary. So it's just like... He, a lot of his value is the two-way factor, and if he was just a hitter or just a pitcher, I'm really curious where people would park him on a draft board because he just needs to improve in these areas. And I do think that you can make a case that he has the highest upside in the class because of the two-way factor and because the tools are just so standout, but you also need a lot of things to go right for him in the future moving forward. There are players like Nick Kurtz and J.J. Weatherholt who are much more advanced in terms of pure hitters who are going to have more defensive value. I mean, Kurtz, Kurtz and Caglione are both first basemen, but Kurtz is a plus or better defensive first baseman who maybe can play outfield. And I've not heard many people talk about Jack defensively like that. Both J.J. Weatherholt and Travis Bazana, who are ranked above Caglione, have a chance to add value as second baseman in addition to their hitting chops. So I think it's just... Just a matter of the questions that you have with Jack Caglione. Like, yes, it's very easy to get excited about the two-way ability. He did lead the country in home runs. Like, that's really impressive. But um, when you're actually scouting him out and projecting moving forward, there are going to be some things he needs to improve on in the spring before he gets to that range. And to be fair to Jack, like, if he does make some strides on, on either of those sides, it's wide open in this year's class. There's not a locked in one, one player that's going to prevent someone from moving up the board and taking that mantle. If he comes out and shows a really advanced approach and the swing is more consistent and he's walking and he's 
showing uh, an ability to be more of a pure hitter on top of just a slugger, like that wouldn't shock me if he moved up, but he's going to need to answer those questions first. Yeah. Well, we also have him. What do we have him right now? Like five or six. So yeah, <laughs> it's not like he's like buried down the, the list either, but yeah, I, I think he has, I mean, gigantic raw power. I don't think anybody questions that, but yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's also a, an extremely aggressive approach. I mean, he walked, 17 times in 319 plate appearances even, even a lot of his on base percentages just came from him getting hit by pitch i mean he had 16 hit by pitch with mm-hmm. 17 walks which all right like i mean it, it matters it does help you <laughs> get on base although also probably mm-hmm. increases your injury risk to a certain extent but um mm-hmm. you know against more advanced pitching the the chase tendencies are going to get uh, or, or should get exploited some more unless he's able to tighten up his selectivity and, and swing at better pitches. But the yeah, the power is enormous. Um, no question about that. He's just not as polished of a hitter as those other college hitters you mentioned who are ahead of him right now. And then as a as a pitcher, yeah, I mean it's tremendous raw arm strength, and then. Uh, you know, he walked 6.6 per nine and hit another 14 guys <laughs> in his 74 innings. So, uh, which huge, to, to also yeah. be fair to Jack, that control is in line with a lot of other pitchers who are at the top of the board on the college side. It's a lot of guys yeah. who don't know where the ball's going. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah. And again, like he's, he's five or, or six or whatever. We have him right now on the board. So he's, he's high up there. Uh, he's, you know, looks to be in line for a top 10, pick uh, if the draft were tomorrow uh, and sign for a big chunk of change. Uh, but that's, I think you framed it well as far as why he's not number one, despite the uh, pretty massive tools on mm-hmm. uh, both as a hitter and as a pitcher. Yeah. I would say Jack probably has some of the widest uh, range of outcomes of any player in this class. Um, and so I imagine he's going to be quite polarizing on draft day, depending on, different teams philosophies and how they value athleticism and big tools versus just conviction and safety. Um, Do you think he would continue as a two way player or would it just be? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, it feels like a lot of those decisions just depend on how much the player actually wants to keep doing both because teams seem to um, at least let them try it out initially, even if they favor them one side or the other, they'll say, Hey, you know, you, you can go out, let's say a team, Bubba Chandler maybe is a good example. Um, he was a hitter and a pitcher. Uh, I think they let him go out and hit initially, and then after that, they're like, okay, let's focus on pitching now. I don't know specifically like how much Jack wants to hit versus pitch, what he thinks is better. I mean, personally, I like him more as a pitcher. I, I imagine that is going to be not the consensus. I imagine most people would prefer him as a hitter if you had to pick one, just given that raw power. Um, I'm just so concerned about like how much he'll actually hit that I'd rather – take a chance on him on the mound we just haven't seen we haven't seen many players actually go out and do both guys like mason win they quickly move on from that like i mean who's the example other than otani who's actually going out and doing both i just don't i don't see it so well there's also other i mean maybe teams or see otani and be more open-minded to mm-hmm. it but it's not like that's always it's not like there's it's not like we've never had two-way guys in college before either like we literally yeah. mentioned Caden Grice on 
Yeah, I mean, Brendan McKay maybe is the best example of a guy who actually did it regularly until he dealt with some injuries. Like Paul Skeens was a two-way guy. Up and, to... and honestly, Paul Skeens is not the example you want to throw out to me because I will keep, <laughs> I'll keep being the guy who's saying like these these players should just focus on one. We'll, we'll see what the Giants do with Bryce Eldridge. They've let Reggie Crawford hit a little bit when I think most people prefer him on the mound. How Bryce Eldridge is handled in 2024 maybe will be a piece of evidence we could use for, for how a team could handle Jack moving forward. Um, I mean, AJ Reed was a two way guy in mm-hmm. college. Like I my point is just like, it's not this unusual thing that we have a, uh, gotcha. A two way. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Two way player. I like Danny Hulton, mm. uh, at, uh, at UVA. I think Sean Doolittle too, going back there. Like it's, uh, and, and who, I mean, he, I remember ranking him in the A's top 30 uh, uh, with like a pretty good report as a hitter and then yeah. probably like ranked him in the right spot, but just <laughs> ended up uh, switching to uh, pitching much yeah, more but successfully. Your point about Paul Skeens is really, I think, the one I wanted to finish off here because he was a he was a two-way player prior to his draft spring with LSU. He was even hitting in the fall and it sounded like he was hitting a ton of huge home runs put down the bat, focused on pitching and went from like a mid first round type to like entering the elite tier of a really great draft class. And was one of the best pitching prospects we'd seen since Strasburg. Like, and a lot of that I think had to do with him just focusing on pitching every week instead of trying to do both. It's incredibly hard to do both at a high level. And I think especially when you have like serious areas of improvement, like to, to be able to tackle both of them effectively is just so difficult that I would just prefer players figure out the one they think they either have more upside or they, they like more or think will lead to a better career and, and really try and maximize what you're doing on one side of the ball. Cause it's just so hard to do both. But yeah. So like a blend of Otani and Paul schemes. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Yeah. That's my comp put it on the board. All right. <laughs> Milty 27 on Instagram asks what age or grade should a player participate in college summer camps? Ben, do you have any insight into this one? Because I have not given this any sort of thought at all and don't have good advice for people. Uh, I have not I, thought about this. Yeah, I think it just, you know, it depends on what your goals are. I mean, colleges, they can't even make an offer now until, what is it, I think, August 1st after after or going into your junior year. So um, I'm and a lot of their focus... Uh, leading up till then is going to be the transfer portal guys too (laughs) and uh, the the players who are you know who they're able to uh, to make offers to so um, you know if like if you just want to go and have the experience of playing uh, at a certain college uh, field at, at a college campus uh and just learn and and develop from those coaches like like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell anybody, uh, any family, how they should or should not spend their money. People want to spend their uh, money going to Disney World. There's not like <laughs> an ROI that you're hmm. putting on that. It's just consumption. It's, it's, you're going for the experience. Some people go several times <laughs> every year. Uh, it's not for me, but if other people want to, you know, do that and, and get enjoyment from it. Um, then that's that's fine uh, by me as far as like you know getting on the radar for uh, you know for a certain 
college that you, know, you have interest in playing at. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like after your after your sophomore year uh, makes sense um, as far as you know getting getting to play there again and being able to to interact with the the coaching staff and having them see you play there uh, can be helpful. But um, there's not any like you, there, there's no like oh you 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 like you need to do this or like you need to go to that showcase or you need to visit or, or go to this team's camp um there's there's no like uh requirements i think that you you have to do so uh, if you want to go earlier and and you want to do it for just the experience or uh just the the coaching aspect that you could get from uh the coaches who who will be there uh you know i think that's that can be um you know that, i think that's something that makes sense too but um you know if you're 12 years old, 13 years old, your son is 14 years old. You're hoping to get uh, recruited that way. It's just not gonna, that's not something that is really realistic at that point. Um, I know it used to be up until they changed the NCAA, changed the rules where teams were making offers to kids when they're 13 years old uh, (laughs) with just too much frequency. Uh, But now, thankfully, that's no longer the uh, the case. So, um, you can definitely take some more time and, and be more patient, uh, and everybody can, which I think is a good thing for, uh, both the college programs and, and the players too. Agreed. No, that's well said, Ben. Um, good advice. I don't have too much more to add. Um, so yeah, I think that wraps it up for the questions today that wraps it up for the pod today. The, the final podcast of our third year doing the show, Ben, do you have any thoughts on, on year three and what's, what's next for us in year four or what the listeners should be aware of the next few weeks over the holidays, like scheduling and anything like that? Um, yeah, just the, we mentioned the prospect handbook at the top. Um, you know, if you buy it direct from us, we'll send you the digital version, uh, before you even get the print copy. I think it makes a great, uh, last minute Christmas gift because you can uh, you don't have to leave your house uh, you can just basically give somebody uh, it's like an IOU you can say oh well uh, it'll <laughs> it'll get here in January you don't even have to worry <laughs> about something getting shipped in time so uh, I would encourage you to buy uh, several copies for yourself uh, and all of your closest friends and uh, family members what a professional plug that was Great job, Ben. Yeah. I heavily endorse that take. I, I think it would be a great Christmas gift as well. Um, so, yeah, that's it for today. We will be off for, I think, just one week, actually, and then we'll be back after the new year ready to roll for the fourth year of the podcast. I think our fourth year anniversary will be February 2024. Do you remember the players we talked about in our very first episode, Ben, back in February of 2021? No, was it twenty one or was it twenty twenty? No, February twenty twenty one, I believe. If uh, okay. if, if this is right on our our podcast page, uh, uh, yeah, it it does feel like it it was not twenty twenty one, but we've we've only been doing this for three years. Wow. Okay. Uh, I do not. Maybe Jason Dominguez, but Jason Dominguez was one of the players we talked about, and he was in the headline. There was also another very prominent at the time high school underclassman. 21 uh either tamar or elijah green then yep elijah green we talked about elijah green jason dominguez and we talked about kamar rocker and jack Leiter. so 
We have not been talking about Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter as much recently, I guess. Maybe, well, next episode we'll do, we'll do ALS. We'll get into them. <laughs> yeah, we can, uh, yeah, we'll have a, a nice little chat about those guys. But no, it's fun to think back on. Um, so again, thank you guys for listening to the podcast, both this episode and all year. It was a fun year for the show. Uh, and we'll hope to continue bringing you guys the, the sort of consistency we managed. I think we managed decent consistency in 23, especially compared to year one and two. Yeah, it's... We always have a, yeah. We we always miss a chunk of time with the uh, injuries or whatever. Mm, yeah. The, the yeah, we got like more. Mike Mike Trout's durability at this point. It's a good comp. I'll take it. <laughs> we'll, we'll give ourselves a Mike Trout comp. All yeah. right, guys. That's that's it for the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting BA. Hope you guys have a, a happy holidays and you get a little bit more rest than Ben is going to get over the next few days. Uh, but this has been fun for Ben. I'm Carlos. See you guys next year.